Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome back, everybody. Glad you're here with me today. Are you having a good day? Have you been enjoying my incredible guests on the podcast so far? Well, you're not going to want to miss today's episode. Dr. Stephen Tracy from Mending the Soul is here with us. So if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a Mending the Soul facilitator. I talk about the healing small groups all the time. And may I reiterate that I do not make a dime off of Mending the Soul. I pay for all of my trainings and my books. I also donate a lot of money to their fundraising. Well, today you're going to find out why I am so passionate about Mending the Soul. Now, next week, I will talk about what's it like to join a small group and some other updates. So let me read his bio for you. Steve Tracy is the President and International Director for Mending the Soul and Professor of Theology and Ethics at Phoenix Seminary, where he has taught since 1995. He has also served as a church pastor for 15 years. Steve's research and writing are focused on biblical ethics, sexuality, and abuse. He received a BA from Arizona State, a Master of Divinity, and a Master of Theology from Western Seminary, and a PhD in Biblical Studies from the University of Sheffield in England, with a research focus on Pauline ethics. In addition to his domestic work, Steve, along with his wife, Celestia, spend four to eight weeks a year in East Africa, coordinating and supervising international trauma training teams. Steve is the author of seven books and numerous book chapters and journal articles. Steve and Celestia have three grown children who, with their families, partner with them in ministries of justice and mercy. Please welcome Dr. Steve Tracy to the show. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. It's a real blessing to have you with us today. My delight. Love being able to do this. I wanted to start a ministry just like Mending the Soul when I, I left my abuser in 2008, but the doors kept closing at the churches that I was attending. And I finally found Mending the Soul when I joined Red Mountain Community Church, uh, where I'm at now. And my pastor's wife invited me to a group when she found out that I was a survivor. Hmm. And I was so impressed with Mending the Soul that I trained right away to be a facilitator after that. Oh, love it. So that was four years ago, I think. And... It has really changed my life in so many ways, and I've seen so many other lives changed. And I talk about 
Manning the Soul a lot on my podcast. And I thought, you know, what could be better than having, you know, Steve Tracy on the show so my listeners can get to meet you? Oh, I appreciate that, Diana. Uh, it, it's always such a, God does the healing. Um, it's not us. We're just instruments. And abuse touched our family. And the, the things we saw God do, the principles that um, helped us, um, the, the, the biblical truth, we love getting it pass on to others. And it's always such a, an encouragement just to hear some, someone like you share that God used uh, many of the soul resources to help them heal. That's what it's all about. Amen. So would you tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing and your background? Sure. Celeste and I were, my wife Celeste is the co-founder. We organized, uh, got, felt a lot of God to start this ministry together. Uh, we were both blessed to grow up in um, loving Christian families. Um, there are no perfect Christian families. And certainly, you know, in hindsight, uh, trauma definitely impacted both of our families um, and our loving parents in significant ways because trauma gets passed down. But um, we, were, we were very blessed to, yeah, just be given a, a, a model for, you know, how a husband treats his wife and uh, be introduced to Jesus as, as a young age. So given that, never in a million years did either of us think we would grow up and do a ministry to trauma survivors. That wasn't on our radar. Um, but it was apparently on God's. And along the way, abuse, for me as a pastor um, for 15 years, I just kept running into abuse as an issue um, among the flock. And I wasn't prepared for it. I was given literally zero, I mean, not not a minute of training in seminary mm -hmm. um, uh, or in my PhD studies for that matter, um, nothing on abuse. Uh, Celeste really didn't get much in her psychological training, but as a pastor for me and for Celeste as a um, counselor, thinking she was going to do mainly, you know, work with kids and couples, um, well, she did. And so quickly, so often she found out there was abuse. Um, so we both kind of in our own journey kept running into abuse and God used that to um, and that was long before um, we realized that abuse had actually impacted our own immediate family. Um, but God brought all, all those things together and mm -hmm. um, put on our hearts to create resources that simply didn't exist um, when we most needed them as a family. Um, resources that addressed abuse from a biblical perspective, but also just solid um, science and social science um, you know, this was about 20 years ago, and, and there just weren't those kind of resources. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's really been a joy to offer to others what we didn't have. And we feel like our, our experience and, and our education is a stewardship uh, before God. Um, he entrusted us with that, that we could help others have resources that would help them heal. So that, that's in a nutshell, the background. So was there a particular event that happened that was your inspiration for starting Mending the Soul? Yeah, the, the tipping point was, uh, I remember it distinctly, in Chandler, Arizona, 
Celeste came home from a full day of counseling, absolutely shattered. Um, a family had come off the mission field. All three girls had been molested by a missionary colleague. And so the family was just in, in tatters, um, the, the marriage, the kids. Um, the, their pastor called Celeste. She had a good relationship with the church um, as a clinician and said, you know, explain the situation and said, we took up a collection and we could, we could pay for five sessions um, for the girls. And that was combined. And, you know, the, <laughs> that would hardly be enough to do a thorough assessment. Mm -mm. And of course, Celeste Slitter scale, air fees and, and all that, but they needed so much more than what she could offer. She called all around to see if there were any other, you know, supplement. She was going to work with them as a clinician, but they needed a lot more. And so she called around to see if there were any supplemental services, even secular. Um, and there was nothing in the entire metro, nothing, even secular. Uh, you know, city of, at that time of over 3 million. And she came home absolutely devastated, just weeping. And we took a long walk, sat under a light pole and, and prayed. And uh, while I, I, I finished praying and she said, okay, while we were praying, God told me what we're supposed to do, just say yes. Which is, would, would be like Celesta. She's very visionary, enthusiastic. And I said, well, <laughs> what am I saying yes to? And she said, oh, I, I know God's told me we're, we're going to, you're going to write a book uh, on abuse and write a chapter a month and then present it to pastors and other Christian leaders who want to learn about abuse and, and how to help people heal. Um, let's do it. Which just sounds really crazy now, we, <laughs> uh, but I, I did hear God's voice in that and we didn't know how much interest there would be. Because, you know, abuse is such an ugly subject and often oh, yeah. um, it stirs up stuff and um, nobody wants to talk about it. No, it's painful. It, it, as I've, I've had many pastors tell me, well, if we talk about abuse in our church, that'll open Pandora's box. Um, we can't do that. Like it yeah. goes away if you don't talk about it. Yeah, we would actually have to do something about it. Yeah. But we had almost close to 150, and we didn't do any high publicity. I had a dear friend uh, at Phoenix Seminary, my supervisor, who, who advised me against that. He said, Steve, just you and Celeste pray and just, you know, get the word out, but don't do any big pitch. Just pray and see what God does. And almost 150 people came monthly for over a year. And uh, that Zondervan picked up the book that was one my first book um, that I had published uh, and it was called Mending the Soul is called Mending the Soul Understanding and Healing Abuse. We thought it would just be for Phoenix and, and maybe Arizona and within a few years God led us to go to East Africa. We now have material in almost 15 languages and I'm just astounded at what God's done um, but he's an awesome God and the need is global. So, you know, I thank the Lord. Amen. Yeah, I've had kind of a similar, similar experience. I was, I was a missionary for 13 years. And um, while I was a missionary, I was being abused by mm -hmm. my then husband. And, wow. and then the, the church, they were enabling my abuser. 
And uh, when I finally had enough sense to leave, it was there was nothing out there. And I couldn't even start a Bible study in my churches because they, again, they were like, you were saying, you know, nobody, nobody's going to come. We don't really want to deal with that. And you're not a professional counselor and all these excuses. And so it was a long time before until I found Red Mountain. So yes, Mm -hmm. God works in great ways and brings people together. So let's talk about the uh, the different modules that you have and curriculums that you offer with sure. Mending the Soul. There's quite a few, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, I, I'm an acad- academic now. I've taught theology and ethics at Phoenix Seminary for 26 years. Um, and so again, that's a stewardship that God's entrusted to me, um, that, that high level of training. So my passion is to address abuse from a thoroughly, deeply biblical perspective. God's word has an amazing amount to say about abuse, even though in all my training, I was never told that. And it's take, it took me quite a while to realize that. But from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible addresses abuse of every kind. Um, and it gives us such trustworthy principles for healing. Um, but of course, the Bible is not a it is, it is absolutely trustworthy. It's God's word, but it's not an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we do work very integratively. Um, good science is really a study of, of creation, what God's done. Um, we call that general revelation. So we integrate. Um, scripture always has the final say, um, but we really integrate from good science and social science Uh, research and then combine it with scripture and we do that for all of our resources so um, Celesta early on created a workbook to go with my book Uh, the book is an overview of abuse a very systematic um, nature of abuse the effects of abuse abuse the path of healing Um, the workbook um, it's been through a couple revisions but it's the many in the soul workbook for men and women yeah right there (laughs) it's very very thorough it's largely came out of Celeste's almost 20 years of uh, clinical practice as a trauma therapist. Um, um, We really believe in the power of small groups. Uh, And scripture has so much to say about, you know, the way believers can sharpen each other and assist each other and bear one another's burdens and pray for one another, etc. Small groups are living out the one another commands. So, um, so the Mending the Soul workbook is is pretty foundational uh, resource. Slusta is just on the verge of completing another workbook um, that will be much shorter, about half as long and simpler. Um, the The current workbook is fantastic, but it is its greatest strength is its greatest weakness. It's very very thorough and in depth. That's awesome if you're ready for it. But some mm. people are so traumatized. Uh, and there can be other things going on that just make it overwhelming and too much. Mm-hmm. And we don't want this to be all or nothing. So this will be very creative. Um, several professional artists have donated their work and um, very creative, um, but much simpler. We're, we're just describing it as an easier on-ramp to, uh, to the healing highway, so to speak. So um, like a stepping stone into the... Absolutely. Yeah. A gentler stepping stone. So that'll be called Explore. 
uh, a guided journal to being loved is a subtitle, which I love. And um, so that'll be coming out soon. We have curriculum for children who've been abused uh, or, or otherwise traumatized. Um, it's a whole cluster of resources called Caring for, for the Vulnerable Child, pre-adolescence. Um, so there's a workbook for the kids, you know, real, real practical exercises. There's a workbook for the parents. Um, there's a teacher's guide as we want our material to, you know, to be as usable as possible. Um, so we, we always create resources that guide people in using them. Uh, and then there's um, what we call the vulnerable child textbook. It's uh, basically it kind of explains the uh, theology of children. The, what does the world of a traumatized child look like, et cetera. Uh, and it goes with a workbook. Uh, mm -hmm. We have some curriculum for sex traffic girls um, called Princess Lost, Princess Found. Uh, yep. Again, the, the Princess Lost is so creative. It's a, it's it's, a fairy tale. It's gorgeous, the book. Beautiful. Um, and I didn't do any of it, so I'm not oh. bragging on myself. Um, yeah, it's and that's being used uh, in other places around the world. It's been translated into Thai and... Um, Swahili, and um, I, I think we have it in Spanish now. Um, let's see, what am I missing? We have the Mending the Soul student edition. Um, a lot of people aren't aware of that one, so I need to keep promoting that. It's uh, Zondervan published that several years ago, Zondervan Youth Specialties. It's, we did it in collaboration with an a social worker who worked with um, at-risk high school students. So it's, it's completely geared for adolescents. Um, you know, high school age. Um, it's kind of a book workbook combined, but real, real simple um, in an adolescence uh, level. We have some fairly recent material contextualized for Africa. Uh, and that's Baez Wounds mm -hmm. um, book and workbook. So those are the main ones right now. Um, we're working on um, some others. I anticipate um, probably a workbook on grief and loss in the not too distant future and um, some other things. But those would be the main ones right now. You know, and there's, there's other groups out there. I've, I've, I've met a bunch of people in podcasting that they're hooked up with some other groups out there. What's the difference that Mending the Soul makes? What, why is it different than all those other ones? Um, a uh, good question, Diana. The first thing I'd say is we partner like crazy. Um, this is about the kingdom. It's not about our kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. So um, we support lots of other ministries and do lots of partnership. Um, well, to begin with, there's just a really limited amount of abuse uh, material, you know, mm -hmm. the material that, that addresses abuse, particularly from a Christian perspective. So there, there's not much competition. There's just there, there's not much there. Um, the American Bible Society has some basic curriculum. I was on that uh, advisory committee for several years. It's called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. Um, it's that that material is it's solid as can be. It's real real basic, um, and that totally has its place. Absolutely, mm -hmm. um, ours is a little more systematic and in-depth again mm -hmm. they're just they're just different um that's one of the very few that i'm even aware of 
Um, there's there's curriculum like um, ah now it's escaping me. Uh, Rick Warren Saddleback uh, Celebrate Recovery. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. A lot of people will ask, well, how is you know mending the soul curriculum different from say Celebrate Recovery? Um, there's definitely an overlap there. Ours is abuse specific. Mm-hmm. So um, I, yeah. I think Celebrate Recovery is great curriculum. Again, we're not in competition. Nope. Um, that may be for a lot of people a good starting point, but um, it doesn't deal specifically with abuse and, and our curriculum does. Um, it's more for um, addiction recovery. Uh, addiction right? and and my understanding, particularly addiction and other kinds of destructive behaviors. Um, and so often, so often, as I'm sure you know, what lies behind addict, addictive behaviors, other kinds of destructive behaviors is abuse trauma. Yes. And so if you don't deal with those root issues, you're going to be really hard pressed to have long-term victory over, you know, other destructive uh, behaviors. Now, what I really like about the workbook is that you incorporate all these different tools for healing. You've got poetry in there, you have stories, you have art, you do, you know, drawing. Let's see, Princess Lost has music. Yeah. And again, art. And I know that the Africa by his wounds, they, a lot of them, they can't read or write. And so you use a lot of a lot of art and music yeah. with that as well, art, right? Expressive art. You know, God's made us uh, multifaceted beings. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trained as a theologian to to elevate the head over everything else, uh, and that's often, at least within the conservative evangelical tradition, um, you know, it's it's right thinking, right thinking, right theology. Well, of course, I believe in that. That's important, but our minds are no less corrupted by sin than our emotions or any other part of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the biblical language for the human constitution, heart and mind, etc. For instance, uh, the word for heart in both Hebrew and Greek, there are several terms, but the main ones, encompasses both thinking and emotion. Well, in, in the Western world, we separate those things out. And I think that's really unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. So I think effective curriculum appeals to the whole person, um, our mind, our emotions, our creativity, um, art, music. I think that's all really important in the, in the healing process. Absolutely. Now, I've had some, some people push back on, uh, on mending the soul a little bit. I had relatives and maybe some other folks say, well, having lay people do these groups that's dangerous you guys aren't licensed counselors you shouldn't be doing these groups can you address that uh, what was yeah. your thought process of of um having lay people doing the groups or survivors yeah um th- that's not an uncommon pushback um you know only in the western world do we have the luxury of having hyper specialization so that if you have abuse or other kinds of trauma you, you go to this trained clinician and then you have this one-on-one session etc 
that model doesn't work in much of the world. And frankly, it doesn't work often even in our own US context. Um, I, I should underscore, Celeste wrote the workbook while having a full-time practice as a licensed counselor. Yes. Uh, that has its place. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, we believe in it. But there is several things here, Diana. One, that's a really limited relationship. There is no way, in my opinion, um, based on both scripture and I would say social science, that you can have the kind of complete healing that we need and long for just through a one-on-one -on -one re relationship with a professional counselor. At such a, it's, it, it's such a limited relationship. We need much more than that. That may have its place. And a lot of people, especially those with extreme uh, trauma symptomology, that's really warranted. Um, that specialized training by someone that has, um, you know, unique training. Mm -hmm. But that, that will not be enough, A. Uh, and B, the body of Christ has the resources and the commission by God to be a place of, of healing and nurture and support and health. Mm -hmm. So e equipping the body of Christ to do that um, can be extremely effective. We, uh, we're, we're really clear, um, we have a, a, a guide that goes with this, a facilitator's guide that has screening tools um, and, and guidelines so that, you know, if, if someone say has a active uh, chemical addiction, they're suicidal, et cetera, um, they would be screened out for doing a group. Um, right. We use those screening tools um, and we, have a whole online course now for facilitators to guide them in how to do an effective course. So with those tools, we're absolutely convinced that some of the best uh, abuse healers are lay people who've had good training, um, who've really attended to their own healing, mm -hmm. um, who are basically sharing their story and assisting others in a healing journey. Um, it's crazy that we would think the only people who can offer healing are professionals. No, I think that goes against biblical teaching. Um, and I, it certainly goes against the experience of thousands and thousands of people. Um, again, yeah, it I has think. its place to yeah. be sure. Um, but I don't think it should be either or. A lot of people find that they, they really will benefit from some professional counseling care but that they get also doing a, a lay led many in the soul group mm -hmm. supplements that in some really tremendous ways um, yes. we've heard that over and over and over so yeah it's a partnership we're not a replacement we're not a right. replacement for professionals we we're on the same team absolutely it should be a, a team effort you know if you have mental health issues or you know, depression, you need a, you need medication for that. Right. We, we work right. with, with the other professionals, but exactly. I've heard from a lot of people in my group that they got more healing from mending the soul than they did from their professional counselor because they weren't, they weren't a survivor and they were not really trauma informed. I, I've heard that literally hundreds of times which boggles my brain. You go to school. 
and you're not yeah, trained. I, I think there's several factors. One is a lot of counselors aren't well trained in, in abuse, number one. Number two, and again, my wife made a very good living and blessed our family financially being a professional, a mental health professional. So I respect the field. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it's no secret that a lot of mental health professionals go into the field because they have some, some things to work out. And if they haven't continued really addressing their own areas of woundedness, they're not going to be effective um, in, in abuse trauma care. And we've, we've certainly seen that. Um, but even if they have the training and they've really addressed their own woundedness, it's still a really limited relationship. Um, I think particularly in terms of um, healing shame, for instance, which I, I'm convinced shame is mm -hmm. the most powerful negative emotion. Um, I think I can strongly support that in scripture. Mm -hmm. um, shame overwhelms us. It, it, it's like a, a virus on the mental hard drive. It colors all the data that comes in and Satan has a field day when we're filled with shame and also abuse survivors have lots of shame. Um, how do you, how do you heal from shame, which is that overwhelming sense that I'm defective, something is wrong with me that can't be fixed. And so I need to hide from you because if you found out who I really was, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. That's, that's mm -hmm. the experience of shame. Mm -hmm. How do you overcome that just in a one-on-one -on -one relationship? Okay. You, you shared these difficult and painful things and shame inducing things with one other professional in a really limited relationship. Well, that, that may help with some of that, but I, my experience is it's gonna be pretty limited. Um, for, a, for a robust shame healing experience, obviously it has to come from God, but God, also, God works largely through his people, we're his hands and feet. Um, I find that in the small group experience, in a, in a safe group that, that's healthy mm -hmm. and we have guidelines and the training helps guide facilitators in offering that, you share your story with three, four, five other men or women and you find out that the very thing you feared, namely that they would metaphorically throw up and run out of the room when they heard your story. Or laugh. Didn't, didn't have, or laugh <laughs> uh, or shame, you know, how could you do that? Whatever, shame you. In fact, there were tears in their eyes. They had compassion. They weren't disgusted. And that is so powerful yes. in, in breaking the lies of the evil one um, that you're disgusting. You can't be healed. You can't be fixed. No one would want you if they really knew. Well, mm. I, I can tell a person that those are lies, but they have to experience that their lies and the small group can go so far in that redemptive um, experience. So I really believe in small groups. Oh, uh, I do too. I, the biggest thing for me was I thought I was alone in my experience. Right. I thought I was the only person in the church in the ministry who was being abused. I didn't think anybody else went through that until I started going to these groups and I'm, like, I'm not alone. Right. I'm not alone anymore. And that's abuse is 
a, a stronghold when you think, you know, you're isolated and you think you're by yourself. Absolutely. It cuts us off from the very resources that God has intended to help us heal. And, and that's, again, it's, it's diabolical, but it's, it's certainly uh, Satan's plan. And, and statistically, what's ironic, such a high percentage, well, I would argue 100% of the population has experienced abuse, at least of the small a. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going through junior high alone, yeah. <laughs> experienced abuse. <laughs> um, we've all experienced verbal abuse. And according to scripture, um, the tongue has the power to destroy. Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs yes. compares the tongue to a sword that cuts. And that's just one kind. So we've all experienced some kind of abuse. And a shockingly high percentage of us have experienced capital A abuse. I mean, I'm well, well aware of the, I mean, I'm a researcher. So uh, I'm up on the latest stats um, from really, really credible sources, uh, the best studies. And it's it's astounding that the percentage of young people and, and adults who've experienced some uh, uh, capital A, you know, basically what we essentially think of as criminal. Um, yeah, I let's mean, talk about capital A. You, t- yeah. you take ministry teams into war-torn places like the Congo. Uh, yeah, what are those trips like? And what kind <laughs> of results have you experienced yeah. in those communities? Uh, I, I could, we, we could do a year's worth of shows yes. on that one. So let me just try to give a, I think, you know, because you've been connected to Many in the Soul for I've met some of the refugees that one. met some of them. Yes, that was amazing. And I think you were there when we, we heard some of the really tough stories from a woman who had literally been in the U.S. about a month. Um, yeah, we... We work throughout East Africa um, and, and do trainings elsewhere in the world, um, lots of different countries. But personally, uh, my heart is most drawn to East Africa. Our daughter lives there as a missionary, um, serving a really poor community and, and street children. Um, and God has just put put East Africa on our heart, particularly the Congo. Um, been going there for almost 15 years. Um, every yeah, this last COVID year was the first year in almost 15 that I hadn't mm. been in Africa. Yeah, um, Congo is second largest country uh, on the continent. It's been called uh, by the UN the rape epicenter of the world. Um, and you really can't fathom the, the magnitude mm-hmm. of trauma. It's all really for the last uh, 25 plus years um they they've known is civil war and anarchy there's a, there's not a civil war than now currently but in the east there's just constant militia attacks um so that that's all they know um and that's what draws me there is the needs are just some of the greatest in the world and we have met some of god's most precious chosen faithful servants and I will crawl on my hands and knees to get there um, to serve them. They, they mean that much to me and uh, just lost. And they know that they know that. So yeah, wow. we've seen God just do a truly, truly 
miraculous, no human explanation for what we've seen. Um, the darker it is, the more the light shines. And wow, yeah, you, you, you see the full vintage, both of what Satan tries to do by way of destruction. Um, probably 90% of what I see in here, there, I don't share here. It wouldn't even be appropriate. It's really horrible. It is beyond, yeah, it, beyond it's the, horrible. Yeah, the torture rapes, the cannibalizations, the whole nine yards. Um, but at the same time, in, in that place of just outlandish evil and suffering, God is at work um, in amazing ways. And we train people and they just run with it. They're so hungry. Um, that really inspires us um, to, to pray, to be faithful ourselves in our own context. So while it's hard and, and painful, we come back um, just with a renewed sense of the power of God to heal the worst of the worst. I am not afraid of any kind of story now. I, I, they, they can still traumatize me, but you know, when you've seen wow. what God can do in the worst of the worst, you, you, it really helps take away the maybe reticence to, to walk into hard, hard places because you realize, you know what? What it says here about the power of God that is true and I've seen it. Um, there mm -hmm. is nothing too difficult for God. I've donated to the cost of those trips so you guys could go, but I, I'll have to admit that um, even if I was willing to go, which I am admitting I'm fearful, my husband would never let me go. <laughs> he says, oh no. Mm -mm. Well, and, no. and God has a different place for all of us. Yeah. So anyone who knows yeah. me knows I, I come alive to, to talk about Africa, to serve in Africa. But God has a different, God doesn't call everyone to do that. Uh, we all have a different place. Um, and, and so I think it's important that we just find our place of call and gifting and serve Christ faithfully there. I know God calls all of us to extend his love and mercy to the hurting. That I know, because scripture is so plain where that is and the specifics is is going to be different so yeah I, I would hope that people hearing what we do don't don't feel shame that they aren't doing it or they they would be afraid to do it where god calls god enables so i would love for you to tell that story that you put in the newsletter i think it was, was it abia that she had gone through some horrendous abuse and you didn't even recognize her when you uh, saw her yeah. years later. Please tell that story. Yeah, I'll try to get through it. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, um, that was on our first trip uh, in 2007. It was, uh, oh my goodness, a tiny little ministry in the bush uh, in eastern Congo outside the city of Butembo. And at the end of, uh, we'd done a couple weeks of training. They said, we want to take you, I think it was a Saturday, um, to this ministry to abuse survivors. Turned out they had had no outside visitors in 10 years. I mean, including Congolese visitors. Um, wow. and it was a little ministry of the mentally ill uh, run by a woman named Mama Abia um, with just incredible faith and boldness for Christ. Um, it, it, yeah, it was for the mentally ill, the 
vast majority of whom were mentally ill because of trauma. And we went room to room, and these are tiny, tiny little dirt floor rooms with like four people in a room, and there's hardly room to turn around. Um, and she had no outside funding. It was just a faith venture. The rebels, they had a few psychopharmaceutical uh, medicines and the rebels would routinely come and steal everything they could and threaten them. And, and she just stayed, I mean, literally putting her life on the line for these uh, wounded people. Mm. And that was where we, so we, we went and, and, and there were probably 24 or so patients in there. It's residential and we, they shared a little bit of their story um, with the patients, they don't have HIPAA laws. You know, this con <laughs> patient confidentiality that we live with, They the, the people there wanted us to know a little bit of their story that was empowering and affirming to them that we would want to hear. Mm -hmm. And the young woman named Abia couldn't talk. She was catatonic, had been um, raped by uh, a soldier or soldiers, and uh, her family had rejected her because of the shame. And that was very cultural. Um, and she'd gotten to a point where she couldn't care for herself. She, I mean, she, she was failing to thrive, couldn't even feed herself. Mm. And um, she couldn't communicate whatsoever. And it was so painful seeing her and hearing her story. I don't, she didn't really know we were even in the room. I mean, she was just completely gone. And um, someone took a picture and we prayed for her the come following year. And I, I can't begin to count the tears I shed. I mean, it was literally, I'm, I'm, it's a picture of, of evil, the, the results of evil and trauma. Went back a year later, because we make long-term commitments um, to our partners. And we we're actually doing a conference for prostituted women, which had never been done in the region. And um, saw, saw God move, but Mama Bia was there and we were so delighted to see her. And we, someone had the picture. <laughs> Because, <laughs> I mean, it was that important to us to pray for this woman. And we showed her the picture and through the translator asked how that young woman was doing. And she literally began to jump up and down. Uh, Mama Bia was incredibly uh, zealous and joyful. And she said in, in Swahili uh, that that's Nema, Nema, which I now know means grace. And... We, you know, we asked how she was doing and she told us this incredible story of healing several months after we'd left, said she was doing so well and been able to go home and on and on. Well, one or two days later, she went home, didn't tell us, she went back home a couple hundred miles away, way into the bush because they'd relocated Nama to a safer place um, and brought her to us. And so I think it was two days later, Here's Mama Bia with this young woman, and we didn't recognize her. Um, we literally thought she was a middle-aged woman, and turned out she was about 21. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I have a before and after picture, and we actually have it in our By His Wounds Africa curriculum, and, and you're just looking at a miracle. I mean, yes. you're, you're looking at a miracle. And again, it's it, those are the scenarios where I say the worst of the worst is not beyond the power of God. Um, and we stayed in touch. She since then had had twins. We were able to see her a couple of years ago, and she's helping others. And um, it's just it's it's amazing. We serve a, a miraculous God. Um, was she the one that went back to her abusers and led them to Christ, or was that a different girl? 
No, that that's uh, Mama Leia. That was Mama Leia. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could tell that story that's... if you want to. Sure. That was, <laughs> that was pretty that was exciting perhaps, too. That was perhaps even more dramatic. Um, yeah, this was a couple years ago um, in, in another city, but also in Eastern Congo. Um, they they have a lot of kidnappings, uh, and and often the officials are are in on it. Um, it's just horrible how often that happens. They'll kidnap someone and demand ransom price, uh, or they'll kill them, or they make hack off some body parts and send them to the family and say, we'll do the we don't get X amount of money. And they will just, they're dirt poor, but you know, they'll do anything, you know, sell land, whatever. Um, so that happened to Mama Leia uh, by a militia group. And she and her partner were literally put in a pit in the ground. Um, it took a week um, and I think her church was able to somehow scrape up the ransom price. And so during that week, she was tortured and brutalized in every way imaginable. Um, her, her colleague was beaten so severely that I think to this day has significant permanent damage and whatnot. Um, but eventually they sent the, you know, ransom money and and she was released um, she went home and her, her husband um, rejected her because in that part of the world uh, it's it's considered shame on the husband shame on the community and so that added to her trauma but thankfully she had a dear pastor um, who uh, pastor Richard who had been to one of our previous trainings and just understood the biblical principles, what God's word has to say about sexual abuse, etc. And um, he and the church ministered to her, just took her in um, mm -hmm. and was that nurturing safe presence and shared just the, some of the principles that uh, we had taught him. She began to heal and grow. And I think it was maybe a year later, she went back into the bush to find that rebel group. And the Congolese tell me, uh, <laughs> you can't believe she did that. Um, she's, uh, that <laughs> uh, she's, she's not human. Uh, she must be an angel. Mm. Um, and she was with, at first they threatened to kill her. They thought she was trying to spy on them to bring in the authorities, you know, to arrest them, etc. cetera. And, um, and she said, no. Um, what you did to me was evil. God sent me here because Jesus died for you and you need, you, you need his forgiveness. And, Amen. Uh, so I guess for hours wow. they threatened her and argued with her and finally realized she wasn't kidding. And they ended up calling in other rebel. It's a large rebel group of hundreds of soldiers, but they have like subgroups out in the bush. He called them in and for, for a couple days, she shared Christ. Um, and at the end of that, uh, she said, okay, I'm, I'm leaving now. I will be praying for you. And apparently the one commander who initially was the most threatening and hostile mm. said, don't pray for us. God could never forgive us for our evil, which mm. was a complete turn. And she said, he can and he wants to. That's why I'm here. I will never give up praying for you. Wow. And, and, and left. And um, I, I don't know what's happened, you know, since then. But what I do know is this is 
one of the faithful servants that we we get to partner with um who was just serving christ so faithfully that's incredible it is truly incredible so diana Mm -hmm. when you and i could i could tell you multiple stories like that all that to say you know in a year of covid and horrific things politically that have happened recently um all the racial unrest there's so much pain in our country and so much that's discouraging Mm -hmm. i really want to underscore to our listeners god is at work amen i'm not minimizing of course the the pain Mm -hmm. uh this is my world i i I cry every day and I used to be this really good heady macho theologian (laughs) broken world has broken me in ways I needed to 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 be broken not not yeah in a bad way I held not in a bad way in a good way um but in the midst of that God is at work um and these are people we need to be praying for and you can understand why I'll do anything I can to uh, to get back and offer them support, um, additional resources, etc. And any of our listeners want to be part of supporting that, go online to our Mending the Slow website and donate toward our Africa work because um, yes, we are serving some of the neediest of the needy, and they are so faithful. Yes, you will see your money being put to good use. Yeah, Um, yeah, I personally knew one of your missionaries, Anne Lane, that just passed away this year, and she was a faithful missionary there in in Africa and cried cried at her funeral. It was, I wish I could take her place, but (laughs) again. God has someone. Um, He has somebody out there. Yeah, but Anne was one of my former seminary students. Um, She was... Uh, using our material in Uganda had taken a couple hundred um, people, mainly women, through it. Um, she had a career as a pharmacist and nothing wrong with pharmacy. But for her, <laughs> God had put on her heart, um, medicine's a wonderful vocation. But again, God has a different call for each of us. Um, a- after a certain number of years in the field, God's called her to go back to seminary to prepare to be a missionary. And um, who would have thought that she would have passed away in her early 50s yeah. um, in the prime of life? But none of us know. Nope. And the, the point isn't whether you make a career change. The point is we've got one life. It's a stewardship before God. God calls all of us to be instruments of healing because that's his heart. And wherever we are with the resources he's given us, we want to be faithful to that. It, it, it's a privilege. He could have the angels doing the work and they'd do it with supernatural power and perfect obedience. But he lets us, he calls us. Um, and we don't know how many more days we have. Um, we want to invest our lives, our resources, our talents for the kingdom um, and, and for helping others heal. I know we only have a few minutes left, but I, I know the listeners want to know the answer to this question and I ask it from a few of my guests that I've had on before. Where was God during my abuse? And how yeah. could God let this happen to me? Yeah, that 
uh, Diana, is the single most haunting question in my life, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and you can imagine given the things that we see in here. Um, and I have had survivors ask me that pointedly. Um, survivors I love deeply. Um, so that's a highly personal question for me and I identify with it. Um, number one, as a theologian with the highest level of training and PhD and all that, I'd be a fool if I told you I know the mind of God and why he does or doesn't do certain things. There's mystery. Scripture is really clear. Uh, Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Um, no human can, can give a complete explanation um, mm -hmm. to that. So I'd start with that qualification. Secondly, the, the, well, in, in saying we don't have a full explanation, it doesn't mean we don't have a significant partial explanation. And that partial explanation, and it's quite enough, is where was God? Look at Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. That's our picture of where God is. Um, we don't serve a God like the, the impassive God of the Greeks and the Romans. Um, mm -hmm. the God who was up on, I mean, they pictured God as the unmoved mover. That he wasn't affected by things on earth. And literally the gods of the Greeks and Romans was up on Mount Olympus drinking ambrosia and messing around with the nymphs and was completely untouched by affairs on earth, human suffering. That's not how scripture presents God. In Isaiah 63, it says uh, regarding God's people, the children of Israel, even in their sinfulness, it says in all their affliction, he was afflicted. God is deeply moved by human suffering. And that's so important for us to realize because we think, well, where is God when this is happening? A, he's, he's with us and he is grieving infinitely more than we can. And of course, that immediately raises a question. Well, if, if he's here and he's with us and he, and he grieves with us, then why doesn't he do something? Mm -hmm. And again, that's where that assumes he's not doing something. And Actually, he is at work in countless ways. Again, I go back to my earlier story. You could say, well, where was God when, when Mama Leah uh, was, was being abused? Well, he was there with her. He strengthened her and she suffered horribly physically and psychologically. But if she were here, she would say, God used that. It was evil. Like we don't call black white. Black is mm -hmm. black morally. Mm -hmm. You know, evil is evil and God hates it and we should hate it. But so it's not that I'm calling it less than it is, but I'm saying God works through evil to bring about a bigger purpose. And you and I could look back and say, God, I sure, man, do it a different way. Well, you know, we just have to trust God knows what he's doing. But he is at work. And I look at how he's using Mama Leia's story. She literally shares around the country. And you, I, I'd love to bring her here someday. I probably will never have a chance. But again, like Mama Bia, she's one of the most joyful people you'd ever meet. 
She says, God is letting me tell my story everywhere. He's doing miracles through my story. What the rebels did to me, I'm able to share Jesus. And people, lives are being changed. Can you believe God is doing this? So where is God? He's with us. And again, ultimate, I mean, the biggest picture when we think of where is God in the midst of abuse, look to the cross. Our Savior suffered the most hideous kinds of abuse. Um, physically, emotionally, spiritual abuse. It was the spiritual authorities that helped put him there. Um, and sexually, he was crucified naked. Mm. Can you imagine the shame mm -hmm. that Jesus would have felt? Um, and it was designed to produce shame. He, 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 was, he suffered shame so our shame could be removed. He was spit on so that we could be kissed, so to speak, by God, uh, etc. So, I think that's the fullest explanation we'll have. And, uh, and I, I have no doubt when we get to heaven and if we trusted Christ as our savior, uh, the questions we have now will, will begin to fade away when we, when we see him and embrace him. But in the here and now, uh, I encourage our listeners who, who are continuing to wrestle with where was God, take that to God. Um, it's, it's called lament. Mm -hmm. um, Take your struggles and doubts and, and frustrations and pain to God. Um, we have ample examples in scripture um, for that. Job's wife said, curse God and die. Give up on yourself. Give up on God when you're experiencing trauma. Job didn't do that. He, he wrestled with God. I mean, he said all kinds of things to God, but it, it wasn't out of rejection of God it was because he loved God and God's the way God was acting or failing to act in the midst of suffering caused him such pain and so he kept bringing that to God over and over um, you know crying out to God and that's what we call lament biblically and and I think that's the best thing we can do when we have those doubts and struggles wow that's as good as answer as I could give. Wow. <laughs> I would you. like more, but it's the best I can give. <laughs> that, yes, in the time that we have. But, you know, um, those that are listening, I hope that, that you have enjoyed Dr. Tracy here. Please go on to MendingTheSoul.org. Find more about it, how you can support them. Um, I start my group next week. I got room for two more. Awesome. Um, but God bless you, Dr. Tracy. This is this has been amazing. I'm so passionate about mending the soul, and I'm so thankful that that um, the Lord's given you those gifts and heart for for the suffering and the abuse. So, thank it's you for heart. what you do. Thank you. It's it's His heart. I've enjoyed this, and I uh, for our listeners, uh, I will be praying that God will encourage you. Um, give you the healing that you need. And again, um, we have lots of resources, many of them free, downloadable, um, that we've created to be a source of encouragement and help to abuse survivors. So um, if you're looking for resources, uh, yeah, go to our website, mendingthesoul.org, and um, there's hope. There's absolutely hope. Amen. Thank you so much. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.